If you decided to listen to this week's message of Dr. Day Central, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Tonight, we are actually in a week two of a series we're doing. And this series is built around this one beautiful word, love. So look at the person next to you and look them deep in the eyes and tell them, I love you. I saw some of the guys skip a few girls. Like, oh my word. Um, don't say I'm a bad wingman. This was your chance. I'm just putting it out there, right? I'm, I'm trying to help you here. I'm definitely trying to help you. Um, but this is the picture is that we want to talk about love and, and what love really is and what it looks like when God speaks about love. But today, in this series of love, we want to ask this question, what is the essence of Jesus' movement, this Christianity thing we talk about? Church, us. What is the essence of church? What is the essence of Christianity? Where does, where's the heart of Christianity? Kind of like, where does it come from? And um, in John 13, there's this moment where, where Jesus gives a brand new command. A brand new command for us. He says this, a new commandment I give you. Get it? Brand new commandment. A new commandment I give you. And then he says... That you will love one another just as I have loved you. And then in case you don't get it, he repeats himself. You also are to love one another. And then he says, by this, the people will know that you are my disciples. What is the, the, the stamp, the trademark, the, the identity picture of us being Jesus' disciples? By the way we love one another. And in this moment, he says something crazy. He says, a new commandment I give you. That must mean that there's probably an old commandment. We'll speak a little bit about that later. But there's a new commandment I give you because in this new commandment, there's so much more for you. So much more freedom, so much more love. Why? Because in this new commandment, you don't have to prove that you love me. No, no, no. All you have to do is accept the fact that I love you. Because he says, again, just listen, look at this piece of scripture. He says, um, just as I have loved you, past tense, this already happened. He already loves you. Now, therefore, with that same love, love one another. So where, what's the essence of Christianity? It's actually this picture of love. Why is this important? Well, it's like anything else. It's like a supercar. You've got a Bugatti Veyron, right? You guys know the Bugatti Veyron? It's, it, it was the fastest car. Apparently, there's a new one, new fastest, like yeah, all the car knowers will, will, will say me. But, but it's, it's a really, 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 really fast road car. You're saying a bunch of words. Tashan. Is it the Cheryl? Is that the... Okay. It's a Bugatti something, right? It's fast. It's fast. I know a lot about cars. So much. Engines. Engines, wheels... Windscreen wipers. But here's the thing about that car, right? If you take the lights out of the car, is it still a car? If you take the bonnet off, is it still a car? If you take the door off, is it still a car? But here's the question. If you take the wheels off, is it, is it still a car? No. Because it no longer has the function of a car. A car is supposed to move. It turns into a chunk of metal that roars at you. Okay. It's like a piece of metal you sit in and listen to music with an aircon. That's pretty much 
Because why the, the essence of a car is the fact that it has wheels, that it can take you from point A to point B, whether it's the fastest or the slowest like mine, whether it's that, that's the point of a car. Its essence is to transport you somewhere. And here's the thing about Christianity. The essence of Christianity is not church on a Sunday. It is not trying to be this perfect picture of a perfect person. It is not trying to make yourself feel a little bit less guilty for doing with the stuff you did in the week. So you come to church and you sing a song and you feel better. The essence of Christianity is this word, love. So why is this important? This is important because I believe that when you experience God's love, it changes everything about you. It changes your focus. It shifts your mind into a better understanding of who he is and what he's called you to. Today's shift that I believe um, we need to make is this very simple thing. is moving from a place where we have great concern to keep the law to a place where we have great compassion to love the broken. So in the series, there's a guy over here, so we're going we're gonna to hear some, I need a better name for the straw man, right? Hamish, I have a Hamish. What's it? Tristan, Tristan's a good one. I've got Tristan and Hamish. And Sticks, Sticks is the last one. So can we have a vote quickly? Can we have a vote? Can we have a vote for Sticks? Anyone that would like to call him Sticks? Sticks is a good one. Hamish, I see this going somewhere. Tristan, yes, okay, so... So we have the stick man, Big Tris, right? And, um, and here's the thing about Christianity. Sometimes this is what our Christian life could look like. We might have a Christian storm, straw man version of Christianity. What does that mean? We, we dress up good. We, we're spending time with Jesus. This guy's spending time with Jesus. He's reading a Bible. You just can't see it. It's on his phone. Okay. What's in here? Like man. I know the Bible. And he's spending time with Jesus, but as a matter of fact, there's no life within him. He's still a straw man. He's dressing up to look like the world, to act like other Christians, to be Christianese. But in this moment, that's not who he is. Because inside him, there needs a shift to happen. And this shift today is again this picture of, of moving from this place of concern for the law to a place of having compassion. Compassion to love the broken in our society. So what does this look like? Well, very simple. Three things. I'm not going to preach long because it's hot out, man. Just welcome to the hottest service in Bloemfontein. I mean, look around the room. I mean, come on. Huh? Look at you, man. You're so hot. Cat, you're hot, bro. You're, oh, you're hot. You're hot. But... We want to talk about three very simple things. If we say we don't want to focus on this, this rigorous law-keeping, but we want to move to this place of compassionate love, how does that work? Well, we need to understand three things. First thing is that there's an old mandate and that there's a new mandate. And the last thing is that we are called to go and do likewise. So we're going to preach out of this piece of Scripture, all right? And um, in this piece of Scripture, uh, we've got it right here. Um, is uh, we're going to be preaching out of Luke 10, 25 and onwards. And we're going to be preaching out of this piece of scripture. So if you've got your Bible, take it out, please. It's going to be good. You're going to highlight stuff. You're going to read it in the week and go like, oh, my, that's what he tried to say. I get it now. Um, but check out this space. 
Um, so this is the story about the old mandate. What, what's the shift that we need to start making? In, in verse 25 of Luke 10, it says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to, um, and put him to, to, to the test, saying this, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe you've asked this question to Jesus before. Jesus, what must I do to go to heaven, to have eternal life? And so Jesus starts answering. He says, he said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? And he answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. So do this and live, live in this way. Why, why is he saying this? Why is he saying this? He's saying this picture. He says, let me sum up the old law for you really quickly. Let me sum up the way that we experience the law. It's, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So what is this? I need to love God. I need to try and prove my love to God. I need to prove to him that I love him. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the problem with this mandate or this picture is it is built around the law. It is built around this law keeping thing that I need to try and improve or try and improve and prove to God that I am good enough to be loved. And then I need to love others like myself. And the only two problems with this is this main thing. And this thing or this person is Jesus. He's the only problem with this thinking because he comes and he flips the whole story because he rocks up and he says, no, this is the old commandment. You guys have heard it. But then he says, I give you a new commandment. What's that? Love one another as I have loved you. First of all, he makes the statement to say, it's no longer about all trying to prove to God anything. He says, it's actually just trying to accept the fact that he loves you. And then he goes on to say, it's not actually loving people with a reference of how you love yourself, but it's loving people with a reference of how God loves you. Because here's the fact, right? If we try and prove to God that we love him, it is always a hard work. The vertical relationship with God will always be hard work. And just by the way, if we love other people as we love ourselves, who of you like fully love yourself? Like 100%, you look at yourself, you think I'm perfect. I love myself perfectly. Mm, right? Some of us have that. Some of us are like, ah, oh, stupid Brent, you did that again. Right? You forgot that. I used to have this thing when I studied. Um, I had future Brent and past Brent. You guys know those two, right? You, you, you don't know it, but you have that one. It's past, it's past Brent that makes bad decisions, and then future Brent's like, ah, oh, damn it, past Brent. You sit there and you go, oh, I have to study for this exam, but ah, oh, it's future Brent's problem. And then future Brent's like, damn it, <laughs> past Brent. <laughs> Come on, get your stuff together. And they're like, I'm going to tell that past Brent. He's not even going to do that again. And then past Brent's always like, ah, it's future Brent's problem. <laughs> But if we think of ourselves in such a small way, or maybe we think of ourselves like, oh, that's too long. This is too short. I'm too big. That's too small. I'm, you know, and uh, this face, like, I don't know. I don't know if this face is going to work for people. You know, like this whole space of how we look at ourselves. And then we have to take that and go and love other people with that. Do you know what we're going to do? <laughs> we're going to smear our own insecurities on other people. But here Jesus comes and he says, I have a new mandate something better. Why is this important? Well, it's the old temple thinking, old temple model of thinking. When you go read 
the Old Testament, when you go read spaces within religion, speaking all the way back to Egyptians and Assyrians and, and um, Babylonians and um, Persians, as well as Greeks and Romans and even the Jewish temple system, it was always a system you had to achieve, then get into the presence of God. And that's how it worked. Very simply put, they had these four things. They had sacred places. Sacred places of worship. Now, in the Old Testament, you had to do a bunch of things to be cleansed, and then you could enter the sacred temple to worship God and to worship Him in that space. You had to make yourself holy, to be on holy ground. You had to um, create a space of silence in the atmosphere. And we sometimes think that's how church is today, but that is not the picture of church. There's a, there's a beautiful piece of scripture that explains this, this, this uh, vision that Isaiah has. And he, he explains this picture that the, that the temple actually cracks open and the holiness of the temple starts flowing out into the world. First time, revolutionary like vision that he gets. Why? Because it has always been a thing of I had to sacrifice and do all these things day in, day out, so that I can now step into the presence of God. But here, because of Jesus, because of this vision, that temple, I don't, go to the te- I don't make myself holy to go to the temple. The holy temple now comes to me. And it makes me holy. And it makes the world around me holy. Jesus comes and flips the script about holy places. Second one is the sacred texts. I, I remember, <clears throat> this is so funny, I was in high school and I had a Bible and I like put it down on the ground. I actually like just chucked it on the ground a little bit. And then one of my friends was like, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? And he's like, it's the Bible. It's, it's, it's like, you can't. I'm like, it's a book with pages. And he's like, it's the Bible. Like, you're going you're gonna to go to hell. You're going to go to hell for that, definitely, definitely. Or you're going to do burpees in heaven or something. Like, you're going to have some punishment. <laughs> And I remember he was so concerned about a book that he's actually missing what's inside the book. He's so concerned about keeping his prayer time with his book that he so misses what's actually inside of it. The third thing that this space was made up of is is sacred men. Always men telling um, the sincere followers how to live their lives. You've got the man of God. You guys have heard that before, right? Man of God say You have it, prophet, evangelist, bishop, this person. You have this man of God that he has the scripture. He holds it in his hand and he tells you, this is what God is saying. This is how God is saying these things. And this isn't an old story, my friends. This is something way, way back from centuries and centuries ago. That people would withhold the scriptures to actually have their own agenda and have their own spaces. But here Jesus says that that again, it's, it's not about these sacred men trying to keep the law. Um, Hebrews even even explains it. He says that you, these these priests day in day out they keep the same rituals, they do the same things, but it says it will never save them. Why? Because it's not enough. I have a better mandate, a better vision, a better story for you. And the fourth and last thing is this: is your your sincere followers, or another way to put it is a superstitious. Followers, These followers that would blindly follow these sacred texts and f- blindly follow these people and never actually find a deep relationship between them and God. And here Jesus comes in and he gives us a radical new mandate, a brand new movement. He says, guys, it's not about trying to prove your love to God and it's not about trying to love other people the way you love yourself. He says, I have something better for you. 
And it's this picture. In Luke 10, reading on, you can open up your Bibles there again. Verse 29, I'm going to read this piece of scripture. And man, it's so good. It says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, because Jesus now answered him with like, he answered this guy, this, this, this lawyer, by the way. Um, but he answered this oak and he said to him, let me answer properly to you. And he, and he, he, like, he like answers him where, where this guy doesn't have an answer anymore. He's like, uh, okay, I can't come back with that one. So then he tries to, you know, trick Jesus again. He says, he asks Jesus this picture, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? If you say I need to love my neighbor, then who is he? What do you think determines who my neighbor is? Who is this neighbor that you want me to love? So as Jesus does, because he's good like that, he replies with a story. He says, let me, let me tell you a story. He goes like this. A man was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. Puts a little scenario out for this guy. He says, this guy was beaten left on the side of the road, half dead. Then we have characters that enter the story. He says, now by chance, a priest was going down to, on that road and he saw the man, but he passed by the other side of the road. Now, first thing you've got to understand is the priest. Why, Why is the priest important? Well, the priest was one of the, one of the people trying to like, keep the law, trying to show the word. And, and this holy, holy man, guy filled, in, filled with robes, you know, a man of God, sees this person in need, but just like the straw man, he had nice clothes on, but he was missing something inside. And he passes by this man in need. Second person walks by. He says, likewise, a Levite, when he came to this place, saw him and passed by the other side. A Levite was the person who was like doing a bunch of rituals in the church and also a holy man. And this person also filled, covered in the, in the robes and the goodness and looking good, walks past this man and passes him. Why? Because he's, he's missing something inside. And then the unlikely superhero. You guys like unlikely superheroes, right? The unlikely superhero rocks up. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw the man, he had compassion over him. Now, what, what, is a good, what is a Samaritan, right? We always hear the story of the good Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? Samaritan, easily put, is this. It's a person that actually had Jewish beliefs, like a Jewish understanding, but they still did a lot of pagan rituals and things. So they were like those guys that go to church, but they don't really go to church, like drink, smoke, and everything, but then they're there on Sundays, but they're not. He's like, if you would think of a lukewarm Christian, but like not actually lukewarm, just cold and then... You know, kind of flaky, doing his own thing, following the world, but also sort of following, but not really following. The Instagram chick, Instagram Christian. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And then after that, it disappears. The fearfully and wonderfully made. Like you've got that space, right? And so this person that is not following Jesus fully, and I mean, he's even in a further, further darker place. He's doing some weird rituals in pagan um, spaces, but also, you know, saying that he believes in this Jewish scripture. And this person is all mixed up. And the unlikely superhero, not the priest, not the Levite, not the good religious person, but this guy rocks up and he's the only one that has compassion. 
Because unlike them, he's maybe not wearing the right clothes, but there's something deep inside of him that pulls him towards compassion. And so he does something ridiculous. He went, um, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and, and, and wine on it, very expensive things. And then he sent him on his way, um, uh, on his animal. He put him on his animal and brought him um, to an inn to take care of him. And the next day, um, he, would look, he would take out uh, two denarii, a lot of money, and he would actually give it to the innkeeper saying, take care of this person. And if they spend any more money, don't worry, I'll, I'll settle the bill next time I come. I'll repay you when I come back. I mean, this is generous, right? This is like a super generous moment that this Samaritan has, the unlikely hero in the story. And then this next moment happens. It's so good. Jesus then looks to this guy that asked him the question. He says, which one of these three do you think provided to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You see, he asks, he answers the guy's question with another question. Because he wants to show this guy, you're asking the wrong question. You're actually asking the wrong question. Because the guy must ask him, who is my neighbor? But now he's asking him the question, no, no, no. It doesn't matter who your neighbor is. But like, by the way, just the person that lied next to the road, we know nothing about him. We don't know if he's a Samaritan, if he's a Jewish leader. if he's. We don't know anything about him because that's the whole point. It doesn't matter who he is. The question that Jesus asked him is a better question to asking, out of these three men, who do you think provided to be a neighbor? And the guy answered and he said, well, the one that showed mercy. And then Jesus gives him something radical. Well, go and do likewise. Do the same. Live in that space. You see, this is the love that Jesus actually has for us. This is the love that Jesus shows towards us. And this is the love we need to show towards people. We can, we can be dressed up with our churchiness and our churchy clothes and our churchy stuff and miss it. Miss what God's busy doing. Maybe you've been part of church. Maybe there's those dressed up churchy people that have hurt you. I want to tell you this, that that is not the true picture of God's love. God's love is bigger than that. Why? Romans 5 just says it so well. For one um, will scarcely die for a righteous person. And perhaps for a good person, you dare to even die. I mean, you would die maybe for a good person, like jump in front of a bullet, you know, for like a president. Or you, you do something great for a person, like the ones you love, you know, you would like jump in front of a, a train for them. Anyone? No one? No one doing that? Okay. There's a bigger issue at hand. But you, you, you do that, right? But here's the thing. If we do that for the good people or the bad people, would you do that? A murderer? Would you do that? Then the scripture says these good words. It says, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Guys, friends, I want to tell you this. God doesn't have grace for you when you fix your life and you come to him. That's not how grace works. God has grace for you that while you're still there, he loves you. While you might still be in a place where you feel far away, maybe in a place where you actually are far away, he loves you. Just as a Samaritan man saw that other man, he didn't move further away. He moved in close. He started opening up his heart, opening up his wallet, opening up everything of him to serve this man, to love this man. And this is such a good piece of scripture. Why? Because it, it shows the story of love. I want to tell you a quick story. And um, this was a few years back. 
myself and one of my friends, we were still like very young Christians, sort of like still studying, still figuring life out. And we started working, but not really, you know, that stage, anyone working like a lot, but not earning anything. Good. Welcome to the world. It'll never stop. Um, <laughs> and I remember the stage and there was a guy, right? Literal homeless guy that, that was started joining our church and, and me and my friend decided we're going to start showing this person love. So we started showing love and having time, spending time with him, taking him for food and for coffee and a, and a bunch of different things. And we realized, yo, he needs a house. So we opened up a space for him where, we could, where he could live. We paid for his rent. And then he realized he needed a job. And we're like, okay, we need to get this guy a job. We got him a job working at a con as a contract or part of a contractor, building things. I mean, this guy was on the up. He was busy getting there. He was growing. He was, we gave him old clothes and he started wearing good clothes. He was looking good. And then he fell back deep into drugs. Yes, and it hurt us. And I told my friend, I'm like, we, we're gonna, we need to love this person again. And so we went to go pick him up. I can't even remember where. Someone next to a street lying there pumped full of drugs and we started the process over again we cleaned him up we got him clothes because he lost everything he lost his job because of that so we got him another job we gave him love again and one or two months down the line he falls back into it again and this process got to a point where <laughs> we were probably young Christians. I remember the day we wanted to like tell him, well, either the drug's going to kill you or we're going to kill you. But <laughs> you got to stop. Like, come on. We're like wrecking the guy. I know. I know it's not the right way. But I'm like, come on, man. We, we want to see something. Until today, that guy's still living on the streets. He had every single opportunity and we loved him. And can I tell you this, the point of the story is, we sometimes hear these stories of people helping people and it's just like this amazing thing. But I want to tell you the truth. Sometimes you will help people, you will show them love and you won't have the amazing story. But the one thing you will have is the fact that you know, I, will, I still pray for that guy. I still trust that he's going to get saved. Deeply, I still trust that he's going to pull his life together. I've seen him walk around, bloom a bunch of times. And I know his journey might be another two years. It might be another six months. It might be next week. But the beautiful thing is I know is that I could love him the way that God loves me. And the way that God loved me is he never gave up. The way that God loved me was generous. The way that God loved me is actually he sometimes withhold stuff from me because he knew it was good for me. The way that God loves me is radical. And I will never stop loving people like that. And this is, I think, what sat in the heart of the Good Samaritan, of this Samaritan man. Is he saw this and he said, well, I can't give up on this man. I have to help him. And not just help him to town, I have to help him to somewhere to sleep. And not only that, I need to attend to his needs and attend to what he needs. What happened to the man after that story? We don't know. What happened to the Samaritan after that? We don't know. But what we do know is this, is that this, this love drove passion and compassion into his heart to love another person. And my question to you is, maybe you're sitting here thinking, yo, Brent, that sounds good theoretically. That sounds so small. It's like, oh, I feel oh, so good. I'm going to give five rand to someone. I want to say five rand is concern. That is not compassion. Compassion is opening up your home, giving someone a shower. It is spending time for that person for the hundredth time, being the shoulder to cry on. 
opening up your life, your wallet, your time. Why? Because someone else has done that for you. Someone's opened up their life. They've paid the price so that you could experience that love. And this is what Jesus says in the last point. He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and do the same thing that you have received. John 13 says it again, a new commandment I give you. He says, friends, love one another as I have loved you. What does this mean? Very simply put, firstly, it's a knowing that I am unconditionally and extravagantly loved by God. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I know that. I don't know if I believe that. Brent, that sounds like a weird far-fetched idea. I want to tell you this. It's until that day that you know that that you'll still try and impress God by trying to love him. But he says, you don't have to do this little dance anymore. You don't have to work hard. You can only accept it and live in it. There's freedom in his name. He says, live with me and you'll live lightly and freely. And the second thing it says is this. If we understand that love, if we can comprehend that love, then it says we should love the world in that exact same way. Exact same way. Can you imagine a world and what this world would look like if this movement of God, this new commandment was a reality? If we could love the next person in the way that God has loved you. That would radically change the world, wouldn't it? That'll change everything. It'll change the way our government functions. It'll change the way your, your community functions, your family, your friends. It'll change the way we look at everything if we know this, that we are fully and extravagantly loved. So I want us for a moment to pray and, and sit in the moment of silence. We're going to have two things we want to do. And, and, and here's the heart. is this very simple thing. Is I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I remember this picture I had sure, years ago. You can keep your eyes closed, but imagine you're just in a field wandering. Wandering, not just walking around wandering, but wandering. Wondering, where am I going? Where is my life leading to? Maybe you've got a grip on something, but you're not sure if you do. And in this moment, there's in the distance, this figure walking towards you. And as it gets closer and closer, it gets more and more familiar. And you start thinking, what does this person want to say to me? What, what do I need to say to, it, to this person? What do I need to say to him? What do I need to do? And this figure just starts getting closer and closer and closer. And you start stressing. Is he going to hurt me? Is he going to attack me? And he starts coming closer and closer and closer. And as he rocks up right in front of you, he does nothing but embrace you. Without trying to explain anything, without trying to prove anything, he embraces you with love. And this is the picture that Jesus has for you. The picture of saying, don't try and explain. Don't try and prove. Just open up your arms and experience me, my love. And this is the first time that you've maybe experienced God's love. I want to invite you, as you're sitting there, just to have a quick conversation with Jesus. Or maybe it's been a long time since you've experienced his love. So just for a moment, 
to speak to God and say, God, you say in your scripture that, <laughs> that you have loved me, that I'm fully loved. Will you just come and show me a little bit more of that tonight? Let's take a moment to ask God. Ask God in your own words. Come show me that love. So as you sit in this space, this is just a little moment of God revealing his love and create that space for you every single week, every single day. Just take a moment in your car before you jump off at work or on your way to varsity. Get quiet and just ask God, God, will you come and show me today how much you love me? And I am 100% convinced that he's going to show you because he's never stingy. He's never been stingy. He's always loving and always enough. So in this space, I want us to do the next step. For God loved me so much that I can now love people in that same way. So I want you to take out your phone really quickly. And I want you to go to your WhatsApp. Go choose a close friend. Maybe it's a friend you journey with, with your relationship with God. Someone you can trust. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a family friend, someone really close to you, right? And what I want you to do is just for a moment to ask God, God, who's the person that I need to go extravagantly love tomorrow morning? That I need to go love the same way you've loved me. It's a difficult question, right? There's words going through your head, people going through your head. But I want you to just for a moment sit and, and say, God, this love you have for me, I want someone else to have that as well. So, so who's the next person I need to go love? Extravagantly, not just send a message and say Jesus loves you with a little bear holding a heart because that's usually the pixelated as well. No. She's saying, can we, can we, you want to come over to our house for supper? You want to you hang out? Because I haven't seen you in ages. So just for a moment, go into your WhatsApp, go to that person. And the reason I'm saying, not to the person you want to ask, just by the way, to a friend to keep you accountable. <laughs> Go to the friend's message to keep you accountable. Why? Because we want to see this thing happen. If you, put it on a, if you write it on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket, you'll never remember it. But if I send Kat a message, he's going to go a day from now, two days from now, go, so have you asked the guy? <laughs> have you started loving him? Because remember, accountability is also love, right? It's a way of loving each other. So quickly take a moment to do that. Give you a few seconds.
Christ only. Go for it. Awesome. If you don't have a word now, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will pop a word into your head. And um, that's how he works. He's gangster like that. Um, he speaks when you least expect it. And so let's pray together and um, let's trust that this love that God has for us doesn't just stay with us, but it actually lives out in the world around us. Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you that this, this evening we can just know this truth. As, as hot it is in this room and in Bloemfontein, so, Father God, you are so in love with us. As we can feel the heat, as it makes us perspire, so your love, as it fills us, there's nothing left to do than to release it into this world. As the effect of your love affects us, there's nothing more we can do than to turn to the world and love the people around us. And I pray for that one person we wrote down, that one person's name. I pray that tomorrow morning that... Sure, Father God, that whether we feel judged, whether we feel not good enough, whether we feel scared to love that person, Father God, that you would come and overwhelm us with your love because it's only your overwhelming love that can set that free. It is only your overwhelming love that can make us love people in an overwhelming way. So will you come and, and be with us as we go love those people today? Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.